What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week. In this upcoming episode, we're going to go ahead and talk about the Buffalo Bills being absolutely and 100% embarrassed by the Tennessee Titans. We're also going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres offseason so far and if I believe Kevin Adams is doing a good job or not. So stick around and let's have some fun. All right, let's jump right into things here in segment number one and talk about the Buffalo Bills being absolutely and 100% meat slapped by the Tennessee Titans. I don't think anybody, including outside of Buffalo, really saw this one happening. The Tennessee Titans had not been able to officially practice in several weeks, having multiple cases of COVID. So their facilities were shut down. The Buffalo Bills, however, this is something that that the national media didn't really talk a lot about, or at least in the actual game itself, is the fact that the Bills had to have two separate game plans, and I think that really put a toll on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the game going on right now. The Bills got absolutely and 100% demolished, 42-16 to on national television, played across the United States, and it was just not a good showing from start to finish by our beloved Buffalo Bills. We're going to start to talk about Josh Allen as, you know, Josh Allen, this was kind of a down game for him, and if this is his down game, I will take this any single day of the week. He was 26 of 41, that's 63% completion percentage, with 263 yards passing. He also had four carries and for 18 yards. He had two touchdowns and two interceptions. One interception was absolutely dreadful. I don't know what he was doing. The, the first interception, which really set the tone for the entire game, went off of Andre Roberts, hit Andre Roberts in the fucking chest, and he just completely popped it up in the air, and it was picked off by the Titans, giving them fantastic field position. And, of course, they... Uh, On the ensuing drive, they go ahead and score seven points. So that really set the tone for the entire game, and it was uh, it was bad. That should have been an an omen as to how things were going to go for the Buffalo Bills in this one, and it was not not good. One thing I want to talk about Josh Allen was in this game he looked just a little off. He looked like last year's Josh Allen. He was throwing a lot more fastballs. He wasn't putting as much touch on the ball. He wasn't finding receivers sitting down in the zone. You know, receivers weren't getting open against man coverage. Stephon Diggs had a good game. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But Josh Allen looked just a little bit off throughout this entire game for the majority of it that I was able to watch. You know, disclaimer, I was not able to watch 100% of the snaps in this game simply because last night I did have to work. I do work overnights, so I was only able to watch maybe 85 to 95% of the game, but I did get to watch a majority of the Bills get absolutely dominated by the Tennessee Titans. It was just not a very fun game to watch, not at all. Uh, you know, it made working the rest of the night, it put a really sour taste working for the rest of the night in my mouth, but I digress. The Buffalo Bills uh, really struggled from start to finish in this game. Uh, Speaking about struggling, Devin Singletary for uh, yet another game 
struggles to find holes and get yards. Uh, you know, he had 11 carries for just 25 yards in this game. And we're going to talk a little bit about my one of the takeaways I had from this later in the show. Just a very, very poor showing for Devin Singletary. Another thing that uh, I wanted to talk about was the Buffalo Bills offensive line was very, very solid in pass protection. They allowed just one sack. I know he was pressured on a, a few of these throws, but on several throws, if you watch, he had three, four, five, six seconds to throw the ball. The touchdown pass to TJ Yeldon, the second touchdown pass that he had of the day. First off, I just want to say what a fucking rope that pass was. It was absolutely insane. I don't know if there's any other quarterback in the NFL right now that can make that throw. Maybe Patrick Mahomes with his arm strength, but that is it. He put that thing on a line. The window was ridiculously small and he actually put the bills back in the game at that point if the bills would have made their two-point conversion they would have been down by just 10 and I think that would have really changed the trajectory of this game but even still in that instance the our offensive line gave Josh Allen plenty of time to throw the ball it just Guys didn't seem to be getting open, either that or maybe Josh Allen was not reading the field very well in this game. Whatever the case may be, guys weren't getting open, Josh Allen wasn't feeding them the ball, and the the offense just looked a tick off in this game, and it showed up on the scoreboard as the Bills were only able to put up 16 points. Another thing from the offensive line, though, is they struggled very badly in run blocking. They did not open many holes for Devin Singletary. And as you know, Singletary's not a guy that's going to run through a lot of people. So if he can't make that first guy miss, the Bills are going to be in trouble as far as their running game goes. It made the Bills a very a very one-dimensional team. It didn't open a lot up for play-action passes. They didn't have to respect the run because the run game was doing absolutely nothing in this game for the Buffalo Bills. Now, Stephon Diggs had himself another day. He caught, uh, he went for over uh, 100 yards again, I think 106 yards on 10 catches. Um, It seemed like Allen was forcing him the ball a little bit too much in this game, but you know, when you have one of your top two, one of your top two wide receivers out in John Brown, you do look to that number one receiver to step up a little bit more. I would have liked to see a little bit more out of Cole Beasley, but I re- I really believe that he may be fighting off some sort of injury as he was kind of on and off the field a little bit. At one point, he was getting his leg worked on. Uh, I think that he might be fighting some sort of muscle strain in one of his legs. He just doesn't seem. Ever since that touchdown catch, he didn't really seem um, to be himself. But again, he was non-existent. Cole Beasley was non-existent in the first half and and had a very big second half. Stephon Diggs had a bigger first half and was kind of non-existent in the second half. But he did fill up the stat sheet again, caught several third-down passes. He kept drives alive. But in this game, you also seen Stephon Diggs drop I think I've seen him two, maybe three passes in this game, and that is a very big deal. You cannot have your number one receiver dropping that many passes in a game against a team as good as the Tennessee Titans and expect to win the game. Moving on to the Bills' defense, this one really, really hurts me. 
everyone thought the Bills defense would be completely fine with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott at the helm, but when not having Star Latulale, not having Jordan Phillips, not having Shaq Lawson, not having the guys in the middle of that defense, it, it really, really is seemingly hurting the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, uh, Matt Milano was also out. Tremaine Edmonds is playing injured. There's so many things going wrong with this defense right now, and it is it has it struggled all game long against the Titans. Yes, I know that the the Bills put the Titans on short fields in a lot of this game, but it was just it was an absolute drubbing from start to finish, and it was fucking terrible to watch. As I said, the Bills struggled all game long. They could not get off the field on third down. The Titans were six of ten on third downs, and when they had the short field, instead of giving up field goal tries, they the, the Bills' defense was giving up touchdowns. Uh, and that's something that we were not accustomed to seeing as the Bills' defense has been very, very strong under Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier being, you know, the two defensive gurus that they are. It's just not a very good look for the Buffalo Bills. The guys that they lost seemingly had much bigger impact than even I believe they thought that they would. And something that's surprising to me is Ed Oliver does not look like the pass-rushing monster that we all thought that he would be. I know it's only five games into his second season, but I really expected more out of Ed Oliver. You know, everyone was kind of saying that he was um, a lot like uh, Aaron Donald in... uh, for the Rams, I'm sorry. A lot like Aaron Donald for the Rams, but it's just not there. He is not getting pressure up the middle. He's not forcing his guys around the side uh, around to roll out of the pocket, and then the Bills are not also closing in and really making any sacks or getting pressure on the QB at all. And that was the next bullet point that I had on my paper here was the Bills' defense struggled mightily to get any pressure at all on Ryan Tannehill, he was able to sit back in the pocket and completely pick apart this secondary. He went 21 of 28 for 195 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He also had four carries for 42 yards and a rushing touchdown. Just way, way, way too easy for the Tennessee offense. The Bills did not look very good. Obviously, Tredavious White was out. Obviously, uh, Levi Wallace is still out. Obviously, Matt Milano is out. All of those things played a very key role in the Buffalo Bills struggling very, very badly to do anything on defense against this Tennessee Titans team. I think the thing that is really concerning to me is the fact that the Bills, I think, blitzed something to the effect of 40% of the plays and still got no pressure, no pressure at all on Ryan Tannehill, that is something that is very, very concerning to me. That means that none of the guys, even when they're sending more guys, are getting home to the quarterback, and that is something that the Bills desperately, desperately, desperately need to get fixed if they want to have a shot at being a contender this year in the NFL. One of the bright spots of the game at least for me, I watch this very closely. As you guys know, I do cover UB Bulls, the University at Buffalo Bulls football and basketball teams, and a 
Uh, alumni from UB, an undrafted free agent cornerback, Cam Lewis, got the start on the outside today for injured Tredavious White, and I thought that he actually played a very solid game. I went back and watched a lot of the game, and I seen that Cam Lewis, he did not get beat on a lot of these plays. He did not get beat downfield. He made several tackles in the back, or not in, maybe not in the backfield, but he made several uh, big-time tackles on um, Derrick Henry, very solid against the run, was second in tackling in this game. Just a very overall solid game for your first start in the NFL for Cam Lewis. I knew he would be a very talented player. All you have to do is go back and watch him play in college to know that he is he can potentially be a difference maker for the Buffalo Bills and add a little bit of depth to a room that does not seemingly have a ton of depth right now. Some of the takeaways from this game is that the Buffalo Bills' run defense was overall in this game pretty solid. They gave up just 4.08 yards per carry overall in this game and just 3 yards per carry to the monster that is Derrick Henry. Now, I know it seemed like a lot worse, but overall, the Bills really did a fairly solid job on the Tennessee Titans' run game. Another takeaway from this game is the Buffalo Bills are in absolute and 100% desperate need of pass rushers. They did not re-sign Shaq Lawson. They did not re-sign Jordan Phillips. Those two guys provided a lot of pressure for the Buffalo Bills last year. Jordan Phillips is doing his thing in Arizona. Shaq Lawson is struggling, seemingly struggling a little bit in Miami, but both guys in our defense last year sorely sorely missed and something that else something else that is sorely missed that I don't think people really realize is Shaq Lawson was very very solid against the run throughout his career with the Buffalo Bills <clears throat> excuse me with with the Buffalo Bills as he was able to set the edge not allow uh, running quarterbacks to get outside, not allow running backs to get outside, force them back inside. And he did a really, really good job against the run in that sense. And that's something that the Bills sorely, sorely miss uh, this season. The absence of Trey White and Matt Milano was enormous. Josh Norman is simply not the Josh Norman that everybody knows from, you know, a few years back, back in Carolina. He's just not that player anymore. He is not good enough to start for the Buffalo Bills. I know he made some big plays last week, but this week he just, you've seen how overmatched he was. He He's a guy that can come in and maybe give you a big play here or there. But if Josh Norman is one of your starting quarter, cornerbacks, then your team is in trouble. And that's what happened all game long. Josh Norman could not contain A.J. Brown, and the Bills got their asses kicked up and down the field because of that, uh, the fact that Trey White was out and their starting cornerback, starting cornerbacks was an undrafted free agent rookie, or not a rookie, but an undrafted free agent, and a guy who's way, way, way past his prime in Josh Norman. That is something that the Buffalo Bills desperately also need to address. Another thing that the Bills need to address is that they have a very shallow linebacking core. Outside of Edmonds and Milano, the Bills are dog shit with their linebacking core. You have A.J. Klein, 
and uh, Dotson that are their linebackers. For the life of me, I cannot fucking understand why A.J. Klein is still out there playing snaps when Matt Milano is not out there. I would much rather see Dotson out there. I thought he played admirable in the absence of... Uh, when him and A.J. Klein played uh, in the absence of Edmonds and Milano, I would much, much rather have Dodson out there. He seems to be more athletic um, and fit the role of maybe Matt Milano a little bit more than does A.J. Klein, who just... I don't want him on the field unless absolutely necessary. Relegate him to special teams and call it a day. Something to take away from this game is the Bills actually led time of possession in this game. A surprising stat considering they got their their faces kicked in by the Titans 42-16, to 16, but they actually led the time of possession 32, to 20, uh, 32 minutes and 24 seconds to 27 minutes and 36 seconds. But here is the big kicker. The Bills gave up three turnovers in this game, two interceptions and a fumble, I do believe giving the Titans very good field position for all three of those turnovers, and that played a key role in the Bills burying themselves in this game. Another thing for the Buffalo Bills is they had 10 penalties. 10 penalties in this game. They could not get out of their own way. It was a disaster from start to finish, and I know that they had to prepare two different game plans and whatnot, but there's a lot of mental errors in this game, and I think that that belongs on the coaching staff for not coaching them up and not getting them ready to play against a very solid team. That is the Tennessee Titans, a a Titans team that is also very well coached by Vrabel on the other side. The Bills were outcoached. They were outplayed in all three facets of the game, and it was just an absolute drubbing from start to finish. It was not a fun game to watch. Another takeaway I had from this game is going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. A lot of people are going to probably give me some hate for this one, but that is okay. I will take the hate. Here's my hot take, so to speak. Devin Singletary is not, I repeat, not a feature running back in the NFL. And here are some of the reasons why I believe that Devin Singletary is not a feature running back and should not ever be a bell cow running back for the Buffalo Bills. He is under 3.5 yards a carry in three of the five games the Buffalo Bills had this season. In those three games, he has 38 carries for just 111 yards. That is awful. And he is at just 3.9 yards per carry on the season. Devin Singletary, when he doesn't have that change of pace back in there to slam up in in between the tackles, is not quite the same running back that he was. You know, he can't really bounce it outside. He, can, You know what I mean? He's just not. I don't think that he is built to be a feature running back. He is a change of pace back. He can give you 10 to 15 good carries, potentially a game, and catch three to four passes out of the backfield. I would really like to see them use Devin Singletary in the screen game a little bit more in this game, as he has proven to be very dangerous in the screen game, not just as an outlet guy. I don't know why they got away from the screen plays in this game, but nevertheless, that is my take from this. Devin Singletary is not a feature back, and he is really, really hurting with the fact that we don't have a backup right now that is 
good between the tackles. Although TJ Yeldon, I think I would give him a little bit more of an opportunity because in the few carries that he had, he did show some explosiveness. The only problem with TJ Yeldon is he has a fumbling problem and that could uh, pose a big problem for the Buffalo Bills if he gets more carries. Overall takeaway from this game is that the Buffalo Bills defense is complete and utter dog shit. They are dog shit, and they have been dog shit since game one. They gave up 17 points to the New York Jets. 17 points to the New York Jets. A team that the national media has said in an, in an actual article, what are, the Bill, or what are the Jets bad at? Football. They're bad at football. Their whole team is dog shit. They're so bad, and the Buffalo Bills gave up 17 points to the New York Jets. That is absolutely inexcusable. That's terrible, if you ask me. They have nobody on offense, especially not now. They just released Le'Veon Bell. They have nobody on offense, and the Bills still gave up 17 points to them. Here's a, a frightening, frightening stat. If you are a Buffalo Bills fan, through the first five games of this season, the Bills have given up 28.4 points per game, and all of last season, Every single game counted. The Bills gave up just 16.18 points per game last season. The Bills will go absolutely fucking nowhere if something is not done about this defense. If something is not done about this defense to hold guy or hold other teams to under 24 points per game, the Buffalo Bills are not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Last year, they were extraordinarily good at holding teams under 20 points. And this year, the Buffalo Bills are lucky if they hold teams under 30 points. That is a travesty considering they have not played super great teams yet. They gave up 42 points to a Tennessee team that the Buffalo Bills should, in my opinion, absolutely dominate. Now I know that the Bills had a lot of injuries. John Brown, Trey White, Matt Milano, three big key names that were all out. But the Tennessee Titans are dealing with problems themselves, a lot of COVID-restricted players, and they just absolutely cock-slapped the Buffalo Bills in this game on national television, and that is a very big problem going forward for the Buffalo Bills. But that's going to do it with this segment. Stick around for the next segment as I'm going to talk about how the Buffalo Sabres offseason has gone so far. All right, let's jump into segment number two. We're going to talk about some Buffalo Sabres offseason as some really interesting things have happened so far this offseason with uh, Kevin Adams now at the helm as the Buffalo Sabres GM. They've cleared out a lot of their front office. They've replaced a lot of their front office, and it it's been kind of a roller coaster as far as being a Buffalo Sabres fan. Let's recap some of the things that did happen. Kevin Adams started well with, in my opinion, with a trade for Eric Stahl, who has had success throughout his career to come in and be the Sabres second line center. And if he plays to a level that is even remotely close to the level that he has played his entire career, the Buffalo Sabres will be in very good shape at the 2C spot heading into the season. It will help lift guys like Jeff Skinner, and it will overall just be a very solid move for the Buffalo Sabres. One of the things that I did not like, some of the 
one of the head scratching moves I did not like for the Buffalo or for Kevin Adams to make is he let Johan Larson walk, who signed with the Arizona Coyotes, and they kept Zembis Zembis Jesus Zemgis Jurgensen's and gave him a three-year, $2.2 million uh, annual average salary contract. And that, to me, was the was kind of a mistake. Larson can play the wing. He can play center. He is a lot more versatile than Zemgis Jorgensen's. He's shown a little that he has a little bit more offensive upside uh, at this point in his career than Zemgis Jorgensen's. I just don't know what you get with with Jorgensen's at this point in his career. I just think it was time to move on. Uh, from at least one of the two, and if we were going to move on from one of them, I would have preferred Jorgensen's to be the one that the Sabres let go. And here's the other head-scratcher. Not only did they keep uh, Jorgensen's, Jesus, if I keep fucking stuttering, they they keep Jorgensen's, but they gave him a raise. What has he done to earn a raise for the Buffalo Sabres? I'm not really sure. But they gave him a raise. He's going to be on the fourth line. He's going to make $2.2 million per year for the next three years. And the Buffalo Sabres, again, let Johan Larson walk. The Sabres did go and sign Tobias Reeder, a one-year contract worth $700,000. Not a terrible signing, just a a very bottom-six depth guy that the Buffalo Sabres can have. He's a good penalty killer. I put that out on my Twitter, and one of the Calgary fans did comment on it and said that he is a very solid penalty killer. And for a team that was absolute, uh, absolutely dog shit last year with the penalty kill, this should certainly help out with that. He has had back-to-back down years points-wise. He had 11 points in 67 games in 2018 and 10 points in 55 games in 2019. He's had some better years uh, before that, but... If he can give us 15 points and provide a solid penalty, be a solid penalty killer for the Buffalo Sabres, given an opportunity if to crack the lineup, then I think that this is a good signing, a very low-risk signing by the Buffalo Sabres. They also signed a couple more depth guys in Matt Irwin, defenseman Matt Irwin. He also signed a one-year $700,000 contract. Uh, Irwin uh, last season had... In 36 games played, had three assists. He also did have 54 block shots and 80 hits. So he is a guy who is a more defensive defenseman. He's going to be a bottom pair defenseman that could potentially play on the penalty kill and give you some solid minutes, blocking shots, getting hits, things like that. Make the Sabres a little bit more difficult to play against. Uh, and for one year, 700000 which it is looking like the uh, veteran minimum at this point, that is, I mean, it, it's not a needle mover as far as moves go. Another one that's not a needle mover as far as moves go is that the Sabres also signed Brandon Davidson to a one-year $700,000 contract. Davidson played just 12 games in 2019, and in those games he had 24 hits and 20 blocked shots. He had zero points in those 12 games. An interesting move by the Buffalo Sabres as they let Johan Larson walk and they sign Cody Eakin. Cody Eakin to a two-year, $2.25 million contract annually. He had 15, uh, 15 points, 5 goals, and 10 assists in 49 games played. And he had a face-off percentage of 48.5. He is a slightly better 
face-off guy throughout his career with a 49.9% uh, face-off percentage throughout his career. He is removed from uh, one season removed in 2018 from scoring 40-plus points. Or, yeah, for, I, I think it was 40-some points. Uh, 39 points is what it looks like. Anyway. From scoring a very solid amount uh, in 78 games played, I have 20 goals and 19 assists, so 39 points in 78 games played. I thought it was more than that, but maybe I wrote it down wrong. Um, in 78 games played, but if Cody Eakin can give us what his career average per 82 games is, I think the Sabres will be in a good spot moving forward if he is indeed their third-line center. Uh he averages a 33 points per 82 games for his entire career. As I said, if he is the third-line center, if he can provide 25 to 30 points in his games with the Buffalo Sabres, then the Sabres, in an 82-game season, of course, then the Sabres, I think, will be in a very good spot. It will give them some depth down the middle, and really, the Sabres can really kind of roll all four lines and not have to really put the brunt of the offense on Jack Eichel's shoulders. One of the head-scratching moves that the Sabres did let happen is they traded for Dominic Cahoon, uh, however you want to say his name, they traded Connor Sheary and Evan Rodriguez. They got back Dominic Kahan. Uh, Sabres fans really liked him. I really liked him. He showed a lot of potential in his very short time here in Buffalo, and I really thought that the Sabres would sign him. He is a very good middle six forward. I say middle six because I would put him on a third line, but if somebody got injured, I could see him filling in on the second line admirably and not really skipping too much of a beat for the Buffalo Sabres. But they let him walk, which was a real head-scratcher for the Buffalo Sabres, but it was a foreshadowing for something that was going to happen later, and this is that something. The Sabres, the Buffalo Sabres signed the top free agent in the market, Taylor Hall, to a one-year, $8 million contract. Taylor Hall had multiple other teams that wanted to offer him. I think it was over 12 teams gave him offers, had 20 teams interested in him, and something that was a very big deal in getting him to come to Buffalo, one was the fact that he will most likely get to play on the wing of Jack Eichel, who is a top 10 player in the NHL today, and that would really boost his value in years that these salary caps might go up. So he's looking to kind of bet on himself and potentially cash in with either the Sabres or another team next season. And also, he came to Buffalo because he has a, a very good relationship with Sabres head coach, Ralph Kruger. Something that Botterill did well was recruited Kruger, made him the head coach, and he is very good with developing relationships with his players and getting them to really give everything that they have. Ralph Kruger is, a Sabre, is still the Sabres head coach, and it pays dividends for the Buffalo Sabres as they land Taylor Hall to be the left wing for Jack Eichel. Now, Hall is coming off of a 16-goal, 36 assists, 52 points in 65 games between New Jersey Devils and the Arizona Coyotes, but he is just a few seasons removed, 2017-2018, from a 39-goal, 54 assists, 93 points in 76 games for the New Jersey Devils. I think he won the Hart Trophy that year. He's not far off from that. So the Sabres are really hoping that they can 
get Taylor Hall back to that level by uniting him with Jack Eichel. And hopefully the two of them will just be absolutely dynamic together. Oh yeah. And you throw in Olofsson or Sam Reinhart on his right wing. And that is just an absolutely dynamite first line for the Buffalo Sabres. Something that is concerning to me, and I don't see a lot of Sabres fans talking about, is that we still have three very important RFAs to sign. I think all three of these guys filed for arbitration. It is Linus Olmark, Sam Reinhart, and Victor Olofsson. The Sabres have just $13.6 million in cap space left. And if the Sabres, then that's if the Sabres spend all the way to the salary cap this season. Now, they have been a salary cap. They have spent to the salary cap in previous seasons, but there has been uh, uh, rumblings that there are, oh my goodness, I can't speak, that there have been reports that there is an internal cap for the Buffalo Sabres of just $70 million. And if that's the case, then the Sabres only have $2.1 million to sign all three of those guys, which means two of those guys are right out the window and the Sabres are no better off than they were last season if they lose two, potentially two, of their top six forwards and their starting goaltender, the Sabres would actually be in pretty bad shape. So hopefully the reports that the Sabres could only spend up to $70 million of an internal cap is not true. Hopefully they can spend all $13.6 million and get all three of these guys signed. And that is the real question. If the Sabres lose one or two of the three of these uh, RFAs, is that is the signing of Taylor Hall worth it if they lose one or two uh, of these RFAs. In my opinion, it really wouldn't be because you don't have Taylor Hall past this season. You don't have him guaranteed past this season. And losing any one of your top six forwards to a team that needed to add talent, you can't you can't add talent by subtracting talent, essentially is what it comes down to. You can't add Taylor Hall and then lose one or two of your top six forwards from the previous season. So the Sabres really need to find out or figure out a way to get these guys signed, all three of them. Uh, Linus Olmark is a big one. I know a lot of people want to upgrade in goal, but you cannot upgrade in goal if you still have uh, Carter Hutton here. You have to get rid of Carter Hutton. He was absolutely terrible last year. Uh, watching him was fucking painful. Linus Olmark had or has over the past two seasons actually has a winning record with this dumpster fire that is the Buffalo Sabres. He is 32-28 and 8, I believe, with a .910 save percentage. Now that save percentage is a bit concerning, but uh, in his first full year with the Sabres, it was a .905. That is kind of shitty, but a .915 is what he had last season, and that is encouraging because it is showing that he is getting better and getting more acclimated to the NHL. Obviously, you know, goaltenders are, are a different breed in the NHL as they come along a lot more slowly. I think you absolutely need to sign Olmark if you're going to have any chance at making the playoffs or making a playoff run in this upcoming season. Now, if the Buffalo Sabres are able to sign all three of these guys, uh, the Sabres will have an absolutely spectacular top two lines, in my opinion. The top six forwards for the Buffalo Sabres would be as follows. Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, Victor Olofsson, Jeff Skinner, Eric Stahl, and Sam Reinhart. 
That is miles ahead of the previous few years in terms of their top two lines for the Buffalo Sabres. Now, that's not necessarily the line combination that will be used, but regardless, the top six forwards for the Buffalo Sabres, way, way, way better than in previous years, and I think that would really set the Buffalo Sabres up for potential success heading into the 2021 season. That's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, tell your family. They can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. They can hit me up on Twitter at Sports Talk Buff One. That's Sports Talk B-U-F-F-1 on Twitter. They can also email me at sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com or at sportstalkbuffalo at gmail.com, and I will answer them back as soon as I can. Once again, thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. Have a fantastic week.